0: You're listening to the Audio Sermon Podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. For almost 130 years, FBCMF has served Marble Falls and the Greater Highland Lakes area faithfully through children's programs, youth activities, and adult discipleship. We invite you to join us each and every Sunday morning at 9 and 1030 a.m. for deep fellowship, rich worship, and a spirit-filled message. For those who find themselves unable to attend on a Sunday morning, we stream those services, Simply visit fbcmf.live during either of our service times to view it. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.
1: I believe this completely, that there is no other name in all of the world. There is nothing else that we need than the name of Jesus Christ and his presence and his influence and his story. And I believe that it makes all the difference for our church and all the difference for our lives. I love Jesus Christ with all of my heart. I am so grateful that he died on the cross, and I'm so grateful that he rose again and that he is alive today, and he is moving right now in this sanctuary, and he can touch and change any life in the world. We believe that there is nothing more powerful than Jesus Christ. Um, This morning, uh, I'm excited to uh, talk about this because... In a few weeks, I'm going to begin a new sermon series uh, based on the parables of Jesus. The sermon series is going to be called um, Jesus, Tell Me a Story. And and based on that, we're going to go through about seven of Jesus' parables. And so I want to give you an appetizer this morning. Uh, to give a little bit of a foretaste about what the parables are like and how precious and how uh, uh, just um, deep and exciting that they are. And uh, we finished our sermon series last week on the, um, the Psalms. And so we have about three weeks where um, I, I'm just going to preach, but then we're going to start Jesus Tell Me a Story in June. Uh, and so one of my favorite parables that Jesus told was the story of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, 30 through 37, and this theme, uh, the theme of this parable is compassion. Uh, The compassion of the good Samaritan, that when he sees the person that's hurting on the side of the road, he stops what he's doing. He stops all of his um, uh, to-do list and uh, the things that he is uh, moving to accomplish and he he puts himself on the line and uh, the robbers could still be right there around them just waiting for him and um, he he uses his own money. It changes his life, it changes what he is doing to go and to help this person. And so we learn here that the kind of compassion that, that is demonstrated in the Good Samaritan is a compassion that is sacrificial a compassion that is authentic and a compassion that is spontaneous. Uh, he, he, He doesn't have time to prepare for it. And if you're not a compassionate person, and if you don't work on it and think about it, then when the moment comes, you won't be ready to stop by the side of the road and help somebody. In order to be compassionate in a spontaneous way, we begin right now thinking about it and praying about it and visualizing what compassion is like so that when the moment comes, we will be compassionate people ourselves. And we think of what it means to be compassionate in a spontaneous way. Um, And when I think of it, uh, there's a great, great story by a wonderful old pastor who's passed away now, but he was legendary in South Texas, one of the greatest pastors that's ever been in Texas at Trinity Baptist Church in San Antonio named Buckner Fanning, Buckner tells a story of what compassion ought to be like and how people should just respond spontaneously to help. And, uh, and he writes about this story and, and I wanna share it with you because it's just, it's just so good and I love it. So Buckner Fanning, um, this is what he wrote. He said, I was preaching a revival back in the 50s in Atlanta, Georgia at a beautiful church. It was a grand facility. It held about 1,200 people and it had a very steep balcony and it was ornate all the way around. Well, it was the first day of an eight-day revival and he said, if you are younger than 40 years old, you don't know what an eight-day revival is. And he said, but on this particular Sunday morning, it was the kickoff to an eight-day revival. And he said, and I was up on the stage and we were worshiping. And he said, and I was standing next to the pastor and next to him was the minister of discipleship and then up leading everything was the worship minister. And he said, and we were singing and the, the crowd was packed. There wasn't a seat to be had in the house and everyone was singing. And, uh, and he said, and then I saw it happening. Way up in the balcony, about two, two rows Uh, There was a woman, and while she was singing, he said, and I could tell she was acting like she was about to pass out. And he said, and I just watched her, and she was kind of waving, weaving around like this, and he goes, oh, no. And he he felt like he ought to come up to the the front and say, woman, please, please sit sit down. You're about to pass out. And he said, and I didn't get up there fast enough, and, and he said, you know how some things kind of happen in slow motion, he said this woman who was on the second row of the balcony as she was weaving, she passed out and she fell, force everything forward and she slammed into the lady who was at the railing, knocking the lady who was at the railing off of the balcony. The woman falls down toward the bottom and, uh, and, and two men who were there just reached out and grabbed her legs and he said it was a horrible scene. Everything was coming down. (laughs) There were bobby pins in her hair, and her Saturday night hairdo was all falling down. There were clothes. The people were all leaping forward and grabbing hymnals, and, and the hymnals that were in their hands, they were all falling and showering. All of the people below, everybody below, was standing like this, being showered with clothes and bobby pins and hymnals, and they were all screaming down below, the woman, when she first was hit, she screamed so loud. He said, everyone, you could have heard it all the way to Birmingham. He, he said, every dog in Georgia heard it. And, uh, and he said, everything was, was, was falling as these men lunged out to grab her feet. Her dress that she was wearing had come all the way over her head. And she was there with her dress and her arms screaming. He said it was a horrible scene. And, and everyone was just wondering how, is she going to fall? And finally other people came. The woman who fell and fainted, she was still on top of her. They finally got that woman off and then finally picked this other woman back up. And then he said... And as good Baptists, we just went right on as if nothing happened whatsoever. He said, we went right on with the singing. And then I preached. He goes, what we should have done is just have the benediction right there. He went home. He said, the next day, the pastor came to him. And he said, Buckner, the woman who fell last night, do you know her? And, and, and Buckner said, uh, no, and, and, and I don't know that I would recognize the woman if... An, Unless she walked in here on her hands, and I might then. I share that story because, uh, one, I I absolutely love it, but, but two, I share it because every one of you in here have been hurt at some point in your life. You were hit from the back, and you fell forced forward, almost ready to give up on everything and walk away, and somebody reached out and caught you. Somebody reached out and grabbed you by the toes and by the ankles and helped you in your moment of need. Now these two men who grabbed that lady, they didn't need a seminary degree and they didn't need to take a seminar and they didn't need any training. They they didn't have to read The Purpose Driven Life in order to figure out what to do in this moment. They just reached out and they grabbed a hold of anything they possibly could in order to save her. Now it one time or another, we are all in the company of the wounded, all of us, and, and, and you've been hit from behind, and you have fallen forward, and, and, and words were said about you that wasn't true, things happened to you that wasn't right, and you were hit from behind, and you were blindsided, and you were hurt, and it reminds me of the story and you recognize it in Luke chapter 10 that there was a certain man who went from Jer- Jerusalem down to Jericho, and on his way down, he fell. It doesn't say that it was his fault, and it may not have been your fault either, but he fell. It could have been his fault, though. But sooner or later, when you're on the road to Jericho, you'll get hit and you'll get hurt. And and when you do, sometimes the church just goes right on by. And you know, in this story, the, the Samaritan, we call him good, but the word good is not in the text at all. Luke doesn't say that he's good. We assume that he's good because of verse 33. It says that he is compassionate. If you want to know what it means to be compassionate, it's good. To define good is to define it as being compassionate. In the Good Samaritan, we call him that because he was compassionate in verse 33. Compassionate. Did you know that compassion is the number one emotion attributed to Jesus? In the year 1912, there was a Presbyterian um, uh, or he taught at Princeton Seminary named B.B. Warfield and B.B. Warfield wrote an article entitled The Emotions of Jesus and he took all of the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and, and he compiled all of the emotions that are attributed to Jesus throughout all of it and he put it all together and he added all of them up and he said it was no surprise to me that all of the emotions that we experienced Jesus experienced Jesus was angry very justifiably um, angry at moments. Jesus was sad. Jesus was rejected. Um, he was even rejected by his own relatives and by his own um, people in Nazareth, where he came from. And so, if any of you have ever been rejected by parents or grandparents or children or brothers and sisters and siblings, if you felt what it was like to be rejected, Jesus knows that feeling very, very well. Um, Jesus knew what it felt like to be disappointed. You know, disciples, I ask you to stay awake with me. Um, This is one of the most difficult nights of my life, and I just need you to stay awake. That's what I need. And you just keep going to sleep over and over again. Can you just stay awake for a few minutes and pray for me? I need you to pray for me. I need it it big time. Would you please? And they just keep going to sleep. Jesus knew what it was like to be disappointed in people that he depended on. But of all of it, B.B. Warfield discovered that the number one attribute, double more than everything else, even when you add up, all of the other emotions, they still don't add up to the number of times that we see Jesus being compassionate. Compassion is the number one attribute of Jesus Christ. And if you and I are going to say that we're followers of Jesus, then that has to be a major um, uh, emotion and in and, and movement in our lives. Compassion has to be there. You cannot call yourself Christian or a follower of Jesus Christ if you lack compassion. It is the number one um, emotion of Jesus. And I love this because we believe that Jesus is the perfect image of God himself. And if Jesus is compassionate, then, then y'all, that means God is compassionate as well. When we see, sometimes I've heard that the God of the Old Testament is, is mean and, and, and uh, sovereign, but, but, but he's uh, hard, and the God of the New Testament is loving and kind. But I want you to know that, that compassion goes from Genesis to Revelation. The compassion of God is all over Scripture. Uh, when Jonah Um, goes to the Ninevites and he's ministering to them. The reason that he doesn't want to go and preach to the Ninevites is because he believed that God would actually save them. And he doesn't want them saved because the Ninevites were the Assyrian people and they were horribly cruel. They invented crucifixion. They were awful and violent and, and, and Jonah said, what's right is for them to be judged and judged harshly, harshly. God turned them into a Sodom and Gomorrah, just rained down upon them. That's what it should happen to the Ninevites. And so when God said, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to them, Jonah said, no way. I'm going to take a ship and go the opposite direction because he knew something that, that God really might save these people. And, and sure enough, he goes and he preaches. It's the worst sermon in the whole Bible. He goes to the Ninevites and he says, in 40 days, you're all toast. And he walked away. And, and, and they repented. They repented. They turned to God. And, and the Bible says, and God relented and had compassion on them. And then God finds Jonah in the end. And Jonah is so mad about the whole thing. And God says, what's wrong with you, Jonah. And Jonah says, I'll tell you, you're what's wrong with me because I knew you were a compassionate God. I knew that you were slow to anger and you were going to to, to forgive and quick to forgive. I knew that about you. So way back in the Old Testament, we see that we serve a God who's compassionate and then he unveils how compassionate he is in the person of Jesus Christ. And here Jesus is telling this story, but not only is he telling it, but compassion is the number one emotion in Jesus's life. Abraham Lincoln said, some people have compassion and they're the ones who make a difference in our world. Uh, Dr. Seuss said it too. He said, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is ever going to get better. People in our world make a difference when they are compassionate and when they care. And there are many ways that you can show it. There are many ways you can define compassion. Here's one way that I like to define it, with one word. Compassion is, can be defined as the word crutch. And you think, man, I don't, I don't like that word. I, it's, it, a crutch is something none of us wanna have. I, I, I don't have a crutch and, and, and people should be tough and strong. We don't need crutches kind of a thing. But but I think that we do. A crutch, this idea that we all need to be shown compassion by somebody who is willing to let us lean on them for a little while, that's capable of holding us up sometimes. Uh, When I was a college minister in Jacksonville, I loved being a college minister. I had a great girl in our college ministry named Amber, and um, Amber had epilepsy, and uh, Amber... Um, was one of the kindest people, though, in the entire uh, youth ministry when she was in the youth group and very kind in college, too. Amber told me one day that she had a friend that she wanted to bring to see me, and, uh, and, and she said, Now, Ross, I want you to know that she's been to one of our Tuesday night college Bible studies before. And I said, Really? What, what, you know, what did she think? And she goes, She didn't like the Bible study, and she didn't like you. <laughs> and I said... All right, I'm excited to meet her. Uh, Amber said, Will you, you know, just be ready because she's very angry and, and she's been through everything you can imagine. So Amber brings this girl to meet me, and, and my goodness, she, if anything, she was underselling it. The, the, the girl was furious, and she was a freshman at college at Lawn Morris College. Lawn Jacksonville, Texas is unique because it's a small town, about the size of Marble Falls, but it has two junior colleges and they are the only two um, private Christian junior colleges in the whole nation. Um, so if you wanna to go to a private Christian junior college, Jacksonville, Texas is your only chance and there's two of them there in the whole United States. So Lawn Morris is a Methodist school, it's a great school there and then Jacksonville Baptist College is there as well. And uh, there's no rivalry between those two. <laughs> um, so, Lon Morris um, had this girl, and she was just so angry about everything. And she came with Amber to meet me. And man, her eyes were just pulsing, pulsing. And, 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 and she was, her, her, her cheeks, and, and, and she had her, her, her jaw just tight. And she came in, and I tried to soften things up. Where are you from? Um, uh, where, where'd you grow up? What's, what do you want to do? What's your major? How are your classes going? And she's just giving me little one-word kind of answers. And finally, I say, you know something? You're in college, and if you'll just lean on Jesus... And what I was going to say, if she had let me finish, is if you lean on Jesus, he won't let you down. He'll support you because he really loves you very, very much and he'll help you if you can just lean on him. But she didn't let me get it out. As soon as I said, and if you'll just lean on Jesus, she interrupted and she exploded, exploded on me. And she said, I tell you what, I will never lean on your Jesus and I will never come to this church and she says, I've been to churches before and I hate all of them and I don't like you and you need to leave me the heck alone, only she didn't say heck. She said, you leave me alone. And she goes, and I will never lean on Jesus. And I'm, I'm at a total loss for words. It felt like she had just hit me in the gut. And, and so I'm speechless, which is hard to do for a preacher. And I'm just sitting there And Amber never misses a beat. Amber's smiling. And Amber reaches her hand over and puts it around her. And she goes, well, that's okay. You just lean on me and I'll lean on Jesus. And, And I think that it's this amazing idea that we we think sometimes that that we're these rugged individualists that you should be able to be really strong rugged individualism but not only is that not biblical but it's not even true to your own story it's not true to anybody's story it's not true at all in any way shape or form God made us to lean on one another he, he calls us community. He calls us a church. He made us to lean on each other. God Himself exists in relationship with the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's the way that we are created to be. And so Amber jumped in there and, and, and allowed this girl to lean on her and loved her and cared for, her, continued to invite her, sure enough. She came, then she came a few more times and a few more times. She became pretty regular. And by the time she graduated with an associate's degree, she had committed her life to Christ. I believe that when you show compassion to somebody by letting them lean on you, when you show that kind of compassion, it draws them to God. I know that the moments in my life when when Megan... It says, you, you, you can lean on me. I'll take care of things. And she may not have vocalized it, but she's shown it to me. In the moments when I've been able to lean on her, it is as if all the stars came back into my sky. It helped. We, we, we need people to lean on and, and, and people that, that we can show compassion to and people who will show compassion to us as well. And so, husbands, show compassion to your wives. Let them lean on you. And wives wives, let your husband lean on you too. This idea that that the head of the house doesn't need anything else or something, that that, that this is garbage. That, That every man and every woman have this mutual leaning that we do with one another, where we're compassionate. Augustine said this, God loves each one of us as if there is no one else to love, he lets us lean on him. All of you who have more than one children understand that idea. When you had your second child, you didn't go to the second, you didn't go to the first child and said, Well, I'm sorry, you're down to 50% now of, of my love. The, right? the, um, b- because they, they weren't. They were never down to anything. You loved each one of them as if there wasn't anyone else to love. That's that's compassion that when you spend time with somebody, they feel like they are the most important person in your life, they have your attention. Compassion makes somebody feel like they're special, and it makes them feel like they have dignity and that they're worthwhile, and that there is a a singular love for them. That kind of compassion makes you stop in your tracks And it makes you uh, uh, go out of your way and to cease your own progress and your own um, uh, agenda in life. And you put your own self in danger, like the Samaritan, where other people had places to go, and he did too. But he stopped his agenda and what he was doing to turn to the side. Compassion is when you turn to the side And, and you don't just keep going, all of you are busy. All of you have things going on, but if you're going to be like Christ, you have to be able to turn to the side and not just boil on ahead with all of the things that you have to do. Christians have to be able to turn and stop their own agenda and their own progress and to put your own self in danger. Now here's what often happened. The robbers would rob somebody and, uh, and then they would hide behind a rock. They would leave him half dead and bleeding and then they would hide behind a rock and wait for some sucker to come in like the good Samaritan and then they would jump out and get him too. Now, that, that, that was a common practice. And so the, the Samaritan comes and he sees him and he puts his own life at risk and he goes and he helps him. He doesn't even care that he could be the next in line. Compassion is risky. It, it, it is when you put your own um, uh, self and your own um, safety to the side and, and your own self-preservation does not matter to you near as much as that person's life and that person's health. It, y'all, you can't be a Jesus kind of compassionate person if self-preservation is the thing that you care about the most. Christianity is not about self-preservation. It's about putting yourself in God's hands and allowing God to be the one who preserves you. And we put ourself in, in, in the line. And, and that's what we find the Samaritan doing right here through, through the whole story. Um, when we think of who is our neighbor, who do we reach out to? There are people who we think, oh man, they're very dangerous, keep them away. And the Lord doesn't want you to ever be a fool, but he wants you to be very compassionate. Um, The kind of compassion that makes you show somebody else who Jesus Christ is, one that you might be embarrassed, it might cost you something, it costs your money, it costs your time, it costs your agenda, it costs all the things you've planned and all of your planning and your calendar, but that's compassion, um, there was a man who was the leader of the Methodist health system in San Antonio. He was a minister named Austin Frederick. And he talked about this kind of risky compassion that, uh, that, that a lady offered when, that made, her, made everybody else in this place think very differently of her. And here is what he said. He said that at his hospital there was a little girl who had leukemia, and she was 12 years old. And he said that it was a very bad leukemia, a difficult one, and, and uh, that the little girl was about to die. And, and they had done everything they could do. She went through all the chemo and all the radiation, and she just, it didn't seem like she was gonna make it. And she was really going downhill, but somehow um, through, through the, the chemo and the prayers and everything combined, somehow she began to pull out of it a little bit. This 12-year-old beautiful little girl She had lost all of her hair, and and she just looked so frail, but she began to get better, and then she began to get more better and more better, and and finally the smiles began to come back to her, and her appetite, she began to eat again, all of that came back to her, and and the family was so excited, it looked like their sweet little 12-year-old was going to make it, and they were excited about it, and so they decided to take her out of that hospital and take her to a great restaurant to eat, and just as a celebration, it's the same thing you would do if you're... Um, son or your daughter were, were at Dell Children's Hospital for months and months and months. And you'd get them out and you'd go and eat at a great restaurant too. And so they wanted to get the little girl out. And they, the family was just really celebrating. They go to this restaurant and and the little girl is there without any hair and she just kind of feels self-conscious. And, and at one point she goes into the bathroom and when she is in there, she's standing in front of the mirror and looking at herself. And, and in walks a beautiful tall gorgeous woman and she has long blonde hair and she's just dressed to the nines and beautiful jewelry and she's just done perfectly and this woman walks in and she sees the little girl and and she stops and she said you have cancer don't you and the little girl's self-conscious and 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 she lowers her head and she she almost starts to cry and she says yes and and the lady said you know what you're gonna get better and you're gonna be okay. And the little girl looked up at her with big eyes and the lady said, do you know how I know? And the little girl said no and and this beautiful woman reaches both of her hands up and she grabs her hair and she pulls off a wig, (laughs) revealing her bald head. And she picks up her, her sleeves to show all of the scars from all the IVs. And it was clear she had cancer too. And, and, and she hugged the girl and said, and you're going to be okay. And you are beautiful And she put back on her wig, and she said, how do I look? And the little girl was smiling, and and she said, good. And and she goes, you're going to be all right. And she left the room, and and the little girl went out, and she's just smiling ear to ear, and she sits down at her table, and across the other side of the restaurant is this woman. And throughout the rest of the dinner, the little girl would lean back in her seat and wave at her, and, and she'd wink at her. They had a little secret. Toward the end of the meal, the little girl's family got up to go back to the hospital. And they're walking out, and the little girl shouts out in the whole restaurant loud. She goes, can I see it again? (laughs) And the woman stands up on the other side of the restroom, and she faces her, and she grabs her hair, and she rips it off, and she holds it out, and she says, you're going to be... Okay, do you know what Jesus did? He had compassion on us because we were sick, because we were sinful. And they ripped him of his clothes, and they ripped the beard out of his face, and they nailed him to a cross. He left all of the splendor and all of the Shekinah glory of heaven so that he could stand up in the middle of our world and tell all of us you're going to be okay. I died for you and you're going to be okay and I love you and I'm going to make you well. I believe that compassion always makes people well. The compassion of the good Samaritan made the man well. Jesus' compassion makes us well. I believe that compassion is always healing has anybody been made well by your compassion lately anyone been made well by you lately
0: you've been listening to the audio sermon podcast of first baptist church of marble falls texas never miss an archive sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either soundcloud or itunes And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.